What's up, everybody? This is the Disciple Makers Podcast brought to you by discipleship.org, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Today, we're going to be listening to The Bonhoeffer Project, and we've got the Director of Regional Representatives, Sandy Mason, and uh, he just had some great things to say in this episode. It's titled, It's All in the Word. The Word of God clearly specifies the gospel we're to preach as we make disciples, but sadly, many in today's church have twisted and distorted the gospel of Jesus to create a gospel that more adequately fits the needs to build the church by butts buildings and bucks. In this episode and also the next one, we're going to be journeying upstream back to the headwaters of scripture and let's examine the real gospel of the kingdom. This is a short episode and I've split it up into two parts, so make sure to come back in the next couple of days when I release the new episode to catch part two. All right, let's listen to Sandy from Bonhoeffer Project as he talks to us today. Enjoy the episode. I want to give you a little bit of my story because it fits what we're going to talk about, which is uh, the gospel and the word of God and uh, the need to recapture uh, the gospel of Jesus, which you're going to hear about the conference plenty. So oldest of four boys, uh, don't realize it, but dad is a functioning alcoholic. The good news is uh, he will have a client one day who will recognize his problem and invite him to an AA meeting. And after about three meetings, he recognized that was his issue and he stopped drinking and lost all desire to drink after that, which was great. Uh, still alive, 94 and uh, loves Jesus. So God did a work. But uh, if you know anything about alcoholic home systems and kids, anybody familiar with that kind of work and recovery work? All my staff back there, <laughs> we're all children of alcohol. Uh, you, the kids can kind of fall in the patterns, and the oldest kid typically falls into this, uh, well, if I perform and do everything right and make good grades and make the sports team, uh, that maybe home won't be so crazy. I mean, you don't say that, but that's what, that's what happens. And I was that kid. Boy, I'm doing all that stuff, so much so that I had a bleeding ulcer in eighth grade, just the stress of it burned a hole in my gut. Well, the reaction of that as an eighth grader was, okay, what I'm learning is when I feel, I could kill myself, so I'm going to stop feeling. So I just really became Joe Cool, making the grades, playing the sports teams, dating the girls, but not having a clue who I really was. Get to college, same thing, join a frat, president of the frat on student government. I'm a devil's advocate. I go around to high schools and tell them why they should go to ASU and performing, doing all that stuff, but inside there's this big hole asking the question, is this all there is? Is this all there is? Go to college, get a wife, get a mortgage, get a dog, die. That's that's life. Uh, had been mom drug us to church, but I had a sense that there was a God. I knew the information about Jesus because I went through the catechism plan they had, but uh, no interest in Christ. Now it's... Uh, my junior year, Sunday morning, and uh, I'm sipping seven up and eating saltine crackers from too much fraternizing. And uh, I'm the president. I had to lead the way, right? And as I told the gang today at, at dinner, the, the nerd of the frat, we were proud that we would pledge anybody, not just cool people. The nerd of the frat, there was just nothing cool about dear Jeff Patterson. Uh, he was height challenge, terrible complexion. His voice was still changing. He was in the marching band, so he's banging on tables and stuff all the time, 
drove a Studebaker. Nobody even knew what that was that his grandpa gave him from Tucson. So he's from Tucson, our arch enemy's town. And he's, you know, there's just nothing cool about him. And to make matters worse, he loved Christ. So he comes into my room. He's a biology major and talks to me about all the things that you do your body when you drink too much. And normally I would have said, you know, I'm really not interested. But I kept listening until he looked me in the eye. No one had ever done this to me directly. He looked me in the eye and he said, Sandy, if you died today, no, it's like, Sandy, if you died today, where would you be? And I thought, well, I bet I'm a C minus. I bet there's a curve and there's guys here a lot worse. There's a lot of D's and F's in here. I bet I'll get in as a C minus. Well, all I know, well, how can you know? So he goes to his room, gets this little uh, track, the four spiritual laws. Anybody ever heard of the four spiritual laws? Yeah. Kevin, where'd you get college? Did you hear about the four spiritual laws in college? No, I learned that when I was in grade school. In grade school? Gee, that's an unusual school. Uh, so I was so ripe, you guys, that uh, he couldn't take me through those laws fast enough when it got to law four. Law one, God loves you. Law two, sin is your problem. Law three, Jesus died for you. I knew the information about Jesus, but the fourth one, you got to personally do something about it. John one, as many as receive him, you need to receive Christ. And uh, I was ready. I said, yeah, I want this. I asked Jesus in my life, and uh, I, got, I got zapped. In fact, that became a problem for me early on, because if other people didn't have a conversion zap like I did, I didn't think they really had it, you know, how we do. We think our experience is what everybody ought to have. And, uh, but for me, there was a clear sense that I had been filled. Jesus had heard me, and everything was different. And... Uh, I had the privilege four days later to lead my girlfriend to Christ, who's now been my wife of 46 years. And it's been great that we've been alongside each other in life and ministry. But uh, so I'm all excited. And uh, I call my folks. My dad doesn't really know what to do with me at this point. It's like, you know, well, that don't get too religious. You know, our goal is law school and da, 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 da. So I knew he didn't get it. Mom cried the day I called her. She got it. She was a new Christian herself. So they take me to the church I grew up in, and uh, I'm all excited. So I'm at this men's breakfast, and my dad says, Sandy, well, tell him. I mean, he didn't realize what he was doing. Sandy, tell him what happened to you a couple weeks ago. So I told him. Got a lot of blank stares. Associate pastor afterwards says to me, you know, uh, we believe in grace. You, you were a child of the kid at baptism, and then you were confirmed when you went through confirmation and took your communion. So you've always been a child. So the idea that you had to receive Christ is a work that actually is against our theology. So my response was, boy, hand me some Martin Luther. I want to read that. No, my response was, I'm out of here. I don't know what you all are doing here, but if you can't embrace the fact that Jesus Christ has changed me, and I, I'm ready to go wherever he sends me, and you can't embrace that. The message to me was, the church is out of it. The church, it, it, whatever happened to me at my frat, they don't even know what's going on. Uh, that was March, May of that year, Billy Graham came to the ASU Stadium and did a conf, uh, crusade. So it was easy sell. I told the guys, <laughs> he's coming to Tempe, come on, he goes to Paris, New York, London. If he's coming to Tempe, he's at the end of the list. Jesus is right behind him. You better come. <laughs> so we got a bunch of guys to come. 
and started a Bible study in the frat, which was unheard of. A what? You're doing what? You're reading a Bible in the frat. And uh, on Thursday nights, it was always kegger night. I, I got us a thing of Coke, which they hated because the girls weren't as much fun drinking Coke as when they drank beer and all kinds of radical stuff happened. But they didn't fire me, surprisingly. But so I started to, uh, that was Sunday that I came to Christ. Tuesday, Jeff takes me to a meeting. At that time, it's called Crew now. At that time, it was Campus Crusade for Christ. You can see why that name doesn't work in Muslim countries. They needed to change that name. <laughs> Bad timing there, Bill Bright. But uh, I go to the meeting. And contrary to my church that had a, a beautiful sanctuary and stained glass and a big organ and big cross and ministers in robes, this was just a room. And there's signs all over the wall. Win, build, send. Win, build, send. Jesus is Lord. I mean, it was so clear what I have come to Christ. I've been one to Christ to get built up, to be sent out wherever God takes me so that I can win others to Christ to build them up and send them out. So I was indoctrinated. I was soaked. I was discipled in win, build, send. To this day, that's still a pretty good mission statement for any organization of Christians. Win folks to Christ, build them up, and equip them so they can go win others to Christ. But when I went to my local church, I didn't see win, build, send anywhere. Uh, what I thought I saw was sit, soak, sour. <laughs> that's what I saw. It wasn't explicit, but I got the message loud and clear. Just come and sit down, sing, give some money, see you next week maybe. Hey, could you help usher? Hey, we still don't have anybody in the junior high class. Could you do that? You know. Uh, so the local church, I was like, I don't need the local church. But uh, the Lord had a way of growing me up about that. We got married. I started going to a local church, started teaching high school. We went through Romans. And uh, I'm just eating up the Word of God. I'm doing Young Life at Chaparral High School. Everybody know what Young Life is? Great outreach to high school kids. You meet right on their campus. You hang out with them. You go to their practices. They wonder who's a weird guy at my practice and find out that you're not weird. And they come and they meet Christ. We take them away to camps. Arizona has one of the best Young Life camps in the world up in uh, Kingman, Arizona, if you ever get a chance to go up there. But, so, I, you know, win, build, send. I'm winning high school kids, winning Christ. We put them in a campaigner group. That was the discipling group. And uh, we, now you need to bring your friends. So come on, they bring them. I mean, they got indoctrinated in the same thing. Go back to my local church, sit down, listen to a sermon, sing some song. Not bad stuff, just nothing like what I was experiencing in my parachurch ministries. But the Lord keeps pulling me in to think about the local church, and people start saying, you know, I think you'd make a good pastor. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, but the Lord kept doing it, and next thing you know, Marge and I find ourselves at seminary. My first job at a church was at a Methodist church in Garland, Texas, and because uh, I wasn't smart enough to know that I wasn't supposed to go to a Methodist church, if you're Going to Dallas Seminary, that was dispensational Mecca. And what are you doing at a Methodist? I'm just too dumb to know. So I went to a Methodist church and got the youth group going. And what did I do? Win, build, send. Win you guys to Christ. 
Just because you going to church doesn't mean you're Christian. What? But I was baptized. What? I prayed the prayer. Are you following Christ? You're in the Word? No. So we create a whole new idea. Hey, if you know Christ, you're going to grow in Christ so you can bring others to Christ. And to this day, I find that is the challenge, is to re-evangelize church-going Christian folks. That the, the need of the hour is Jesus' gospel, uh, not the gospel Americana, as our founder, writer Bill Hall would say, which is, hey, you want to go to heaven? Well, pray this prayer. Jesus died for you on the cross. Pray this prayer, and he'll forgive your sins, and you're on your way to heaven. And find a good church. Now, that works for some folks. That It worked for me. I was ripe. Uh, and, but I think the difference is that I, Sunday came to faith and Tuesday I'm in a windbuild sin movement. Uh, one of my convictions is that where people start with Christ is going to kind of set a course for good or for ill. So if someone started with Christ in a church, and their idea of what a Christian is that I go to church and I help serve at the church. And that's not bad. Don't misunderstand me. But it, it, it's not a lifestyle. It's something I add to my life. I go to the gym. I go to work. I hunt and fish. I shop. And I go to church. It's one of the spokes on the wheel of their life. But it's not the hub. And what we want to recapture is the gospel of Jesus, which puts him right at the center, not you. Uh, and so, uh, everybody still awake? Look, you're right and left, someone's dozing, just punch him for me. Okay, let's, uh, let's look in the Bible, what the heck? Let's look in the Bible. How about, uh, oh, this is embarrassing, you didn't bring a Bible. Pull your phone out like you got it on the phone and we won't know that you're looking at Facebook. Go ahead. Okay, Luke 9. If I was to tell you I'm preaching to your church, I tell you I'm going to give an invitation, most people would think that I'm going to give the typical evangelist invitation. Uh, Jesus died for you on the cross. He loves you. He wants to forgive your sins. Uh, if you'd like to be forgiven of your sins, pray this prayer and stand up and you're saved and come be baptized. That's not, that's not bad. That's just not the whole story. It's just not the whole story. Here's what we do with folks. We tell folks, okay, I opened a new gym, and I want you to come into the gym. I'm going to give you a free gym membership. So you come in, Jamie, you look like you've been to a gym, brother, or you just, you're padded under there, but you look good. <laughs> you're a little padded. So you, you come to my gym. I go, here, free membership. Thank you. You're now a member of my gym. Come on. There's some weights. There's some treadmills. There's a sauna. There's some, you know, uh, rope things. So just come on in and, and hang around the gym. And that's church, isn't it? Hey, you're a Christian. Come on in. Got a Bible study over here. Got Sunday school class over here. Hey, you can help in the nursery. You can usher over here. Just It's just big cafeteria and nobody gets in shape in that kind of gym. 
The only way you get in shape in a gym is if someone coaches you, here's the weight you can handle now, here's what you do for your heart, here's the aerobic. It's the same way in the Christian faith, men and women. We've taken the rich, blood-soaked gospel of Jesus Christ, which calls men and women to do something pretty radical, we're gonna look at it, and gives life in return, and we've exchanged it for membership in a Christian organization. Okay, you gotta be a little mad at me now, so let's keep going. Luke 9.23, Jesus said to them all, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000, so there's probably a lot of people in earshot. Uh, he went away and prayed. Uh, he asked the disciples, guys, who do you think I am? He's pull, wanting to pull out. It's interesting that he doesn't ask this uh, at the beginning of their time together. He just wants them, just start following me. You know, that's still a good invitation. Rather than close the deal with folks, Invite them just to start following Jesus. Let me help you just follow them wherever you're at. Just start following Jesus. In fact, our membership class at my last church that I planted some 20 years ago, we had a membership class where you would go to the class, hear our information, and then an uh, elder, we call him shepherds, and his wife would interview you, you to see if you were converted or a Christian so you could become a member. Is this familiar to anybody else? Do you guys have the membership class? Not a bad thing, but the poor elder and his wife felt all this pressure, like, you know, we gotta, we gotta do the barcode on you. Save. Oh, I don't know. A little shaky there, brother. I don't know. It's terrible pressure. So we said, let's stop doing that. They were like, oh, good. I said, instead, tell them we want to help you follow Jesus. Where are you at in your followership with Jesus right now? Hmm, I, I never, okay, well, let us help. So we stopped worrying about give me the date and time. And now we just want to say, do you want to follow him or not? If you do, we'll help you do that. All right, so Jesus now says to anyone in earshot and to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, here's my invitation. Number one, you've got to deny yourself. So what's his point? His point is, you are your biggest problem. Your flesh, your desires, your view of the good life, your pride, your ego, what you think is right, you're your biggest problem. So if you're going to follow me, you got to say no to yourself, your prejudices, your past, what your family told you, all those things, and just say yes to me. He can only do that if he's the Lord, and he is the Lord. Amen? So he has the right to, this is his invitation. By the way, this is in the Gospels about four times. So it's not like we're grabbing one little verse. It's in Mark, it's in Matthew, it's in Luke. If anyone wishes to come after me, first thing you've got to do is say no to yourself. So it's not about you now, it's about him. Jesus wants center in our life. This is step one in his invitation. If people are back off from that, that's good. It's like the rich young ruler. Hey, I'll, have I done everything for eternal life? Well, let me see your resume here. Okay, yeah, you kept that. Okay, good. Why don't you sell everything? What was he doing? I know what you're hanging on to. You got to say no to that so you can say yes to me. So, you know, Jesus never closes the deal with folks. He sends as many away as he invites to come. 
Not because he doesn't want them to come. He just wants them to wrestle with, do you really want me? That's why in my preaching now, I spend more time making sure you know who Jesus is before I would ever ask you to start following him so you know who we're talking about. Too many folks have been invited to a conversion prayer, and they don't really know who it is they're asking into their life. All right, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Take up his cross. So Jesus has a cross for you. It's your identification with him. So I think what Jesus is saying, take up your cross, is take up your new identity in me. Die to yourself, and the cross has that same message of death to self. That's a big deal. Deny yourself, take up your cross every day, every day. Deal with the issue of who's going to be Lord today, Sandy or Jesus? Are you going to identify with me or with your pride, your ego, what you're comfortable with? That's the question. Every day, we got to wrestle that to the ground. People need to understand that Jesus' gospel is a lifestyle. It's a whole new way of living. The Bible calls it a narrow way. Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I don't know you. So we don't help anybody to give them a false sense of security about a prayer they prayed that they don't really know the Savior they're talking about. Amen. Let's give Jesus invitation. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's what we want to invite people to do. Follow me. Follow me. And you never follow alone. You follow with others. So the first thing you got to do is find other followers. You know, the recovery groups have this all over us. And you know that the guys who started AA got it out of the Bible. The communists stole the ideas of Jesus. Can you believe that? And put it to practice work that the church is a lost sight of. In recovery groups, you come into an AA. I know this because my dad went to AA. I went to Al-Anon, so I've seen it firsthand. Always had an AA meeting in our church because it was a great place for sinners to face their sin. And then we could say, hey, there's church here Sunday. Come join us. So you come into an AA meeting. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't break your anonymity, but just say you know. You've heard about it. Okay. Uh, you come in, they go around, you don't share your business, you don't even share your last name. You say, hi, I'm Sandy, I'm an alcoholic. So what does that do? Baseline, we're all here because we got a problem. Wouldn't that be something if you came to church and the, the invitation was, hey, hi, I'm the pastor, I'm a sinner. And everybody steps up and says, hi, pastor, I'm a sinner. So in AA, everybody, bottom ground, you're brand new, okay, what's the first thing to do? You need a sponsor. You could never do this alone. And you're going to get a sponsor, and we're going to give you a book. Does that sound familiar? We're give you, they call it the big book. And this is your life, and this is now a lifestyle. You'll be in recovery. What do they tell them? 60 days? 90 days? For your life. You're in recovery for your life. And they still keep coming. The bar is set high. But they know unless you do this, you'll not get sober. But in the church, we've made sin small, and the pray the prayer big, so we have all these people who pray to prayer, and they're not dealing with their sin. There's no repentance. There's no transformation. Where does the Holy Spirit meet you, dear one? He meets you at the place of obedience. At the place of obedience. The first time I experienced the, that power was Monday lunch. I prayed the prayer on Sunday. 
On Monday, it's lunch. Everybody came to Monday lunch in the frat because it was burgers and Rena the cook wasn't a great cook, but burgers were pretty decent. The other thing on Monday is that's when you could talk about what happened on the weekend to ASU sports, and you could lay out the here's what we're doing, here's the parties, here's the intramural stuff. So everybody's at Monday lunch. If you wanted to make an announcement at Monday lunch, you took your utensil and you tapped your water glass, right? Ding, ding, and everybody got quiet, make an announcement. So I'm sitting next to Patterson, eating my hamburger. All of a sudden, Patterson taps his water glass. Ding, ding, ding. Everybody kind of, you know, think, oh, well, he's got a, another band march he wants us to know about or something. Uh, I just want to make an announcement that our president, Sandy Mason, became a Christian yesterday. The room got real quiet. <laughs> and all the eyes go from Patterson to me. And it was... Time stood still, and I had an opportunity right there to roll my eyes and say, yeah, you know, he once took me to church, and now I'm a preacher, and everybody laugh it off and move on. Or I could just be quiet and eat my hamburger. And by the grace of God, I stayed quiet, ate my hamburger, and experienced a confirmation of the Holy Spirit that gave me such courage and peace that I had not ever experienced. One of the missing things in my life was a sense of conviction, courage. What am I living for? What would I die for? And Jesus was filling that in. But it was always steps of obedience where the Spirit met me and where transformation occurred. So Jesus calls us, say no to yourself, take up my identity, my mission every day and follow me. That's the gospel. Some would say, well, wait a minute. Uh, Paul doesn't use that gospel. No, his is even bigger. Have you read Paul's invitation? Who knows where I'm going? Somebody I can see him. So you know where I'm going. Don't steal my thunder. It's my big day in the limelight. Come on. Man. Romans 12. Who knew that? Who knew I was going there? No? Romans 12. How many chapters in Romans? 16. Good. You have read that. Way to go. And uh, the first 11 are all about the problem, sin, spends a lot of time on sin. The solution to sin is Christ, and your response is faith, and his illustration is Abraham, whose faith always had an action, always had an action. Faith to Jesus is always demonstrated in action. That's why his stepbrother James, his whole book is about, you tell me you have faith, but there's no action because he knew his stepbrother Jesus said, if you have faith, there'll be some action to it. So Paul gives 11 chapters on the grace of God. Romans 8, one of the greatest chapters to revisit every week in the Bible, right? Then 9 to 11, all this mystery of the sovereignty of God, this mind-blowing stuff. So then he, he calls now, here's his invitation. Chap he holds it till 12. He waits till chapter 12 to give the invitation. And here it comes. Therefore, I urge you, just love the spirit of that. Not, I'm telling you, but it's like he's down humbly. I urge you, please. Some of your translations say, I beseech you, right? What other words do you have there? Different word than please. plead. There's a great word. I plead with you, brethren, by the mercies of God. In light of, he's just laid out the mercies of God in chapters 1 to 11. In light of the mercies of God, would you pray this prayer with me? No, that's not what he says. He says, I want your body, Leo. I want all of you 
in light of what Christ has done, the, you give him your whole self. That is your holy, acceptable offering to God. Someone says, well, Paul didn't say take up your cross. No, he said die on the altar. Romans understood sacrifice. They understood altars. So Paul says, you're the offering. You're a living sacrifice. Give your whole self, not part of yourself. That's what's acceptable to God. That will keep you from conformity with the world. And then you'll know the will of God. The gospel of Jesus is a strong invitation. It's completely of grace. It's for anyone, but it's a high call. And we do no one a service by lowering the bar. In best of intentions, we want to get more people in our church. We want to have more baptisms. Those are all good things. But what could be worse than hearing that someone you gave a false hope about their salvation discovers that Jesus doesn't know them? I'd rather say, Jesus, here's what you said. I called people to what you said. Because ultimately, he's the one who saves, right? He's the one who gives faith. He's the one who opens the eyes that the evil one has put a veil over. He's the one who opens our ears. And it's his strong words. Love what Shadanka said today. It's, it's the strong word of God that has the opportunity to pierce and move people to repent and say, all right, Jesus, I'm all yours. Not, I prayed a prayer, I'm going to go to heaven, right? As Dallas Willard said, why would you want to spend eternity with someone that you're not interested in getting to know now? Right? So, okay, questions. And I'm going to repeat your question because they're recording this. So that's, I'm not just being smart. I'm really trying to be helpful for a change. Comments, questions? Yes, sir. Right. So his question is, uh, he met Christ at a camp, kind of a parachurch ministry, came to Christ, had a great experience of community with other people that were excited, helped him know Christ, which felt different than his local church experience. And so your question is, how do we bring that life back into the church? Brother, that is the need of the hour. That's why we're here. That's why you need to be in the Bonhoeffer Project, and you need to sign up for one of our cohorts before you leave today. Thank you. Amen in the back, right? Okay. No, that that's it. You know, we people get the idea that the church is the game. The church is the huddle. Then we're released to the camps and the Young Life Ministries and the office Bible studies and the home VBS. That's where it's supposed to happen, out there winning people to Christ. And then you bring them to the church where they meet other people like them and get built up so they can be sent out. So that I think that is God's plan. But people too often think, no, the church is where we bring them to hear that great preacher and he'll get them saved. That's the huddle where we just you get reminded of the playbook and what you're supposed to be. It's not the game. Somebody thinks heaven is 24-hour church service. Oh, my gosh, I'll take hell. No way. Better be more than that. All right. Another question. I've scared everybody off probably. Yes, sir. In the back. Yes. And the, what we watch in his question was uh, confusion about when do we receive the Holy Spirit? Because there's an example in Acts where someone uh, is baptized and then receive the Spirit. The evangelist goes to some people and says, have you, do you have the Holy Spirit? They said, no, we just have Jesus. So he baptizes them and they get the Holy Spirit. 
uh, I think we need to understand that what we're watching in Acts is the unfolding of the gospel and the Holy Spirit's ministry going to a group of people that were hearers of John the Baptist and his baptism that are just getting the message of Jesus. So I think the clarity of the Holy Spirit, Paul's really helpful there that like Ephesians 1, when you, when you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, there still are seasons, times when you are filled or baptized or anointed, whatever your camp likes to call it, when this Holy Spirit does a, a special work. But uh, I don't think we're to seek, as some would say, a second baptism, brother. I don't know if that's what you're asking. I think now when you receive Christ, you have the Spirit. The only question is how much of you does the Spirit have? And uh, so there are seasons of yieldness and brokenness when that goes. Great question. Worth a theology book. Okay, one more. Who? Yes, sir. Why do you call it the Bonhoeffer Project? Why do we call it the Bonhoeffer Project? Yeah. Isn't it a cool name? Well, I love That's why we just, you know, it was going to be Joe's Project, Mary's Project. And we, hey, Bon. No. Uh, real quick. Am I okay on time, Cindy? Uh, he asked the question, why are we the Bonhoeffer Project? Our founder, Bill Hall, uh, Loves the story of Bonhoeffer. You know, he was the German pastor who had everything going for him. He was brilliant. Uh, the German folks wanted to save him from Hitler, so they sent him to the States to be safe until the war is over. He got convicted that he couldn't leave his countrymen while they're going through hell with Hitler. So he went back, and uh, he became part of a movement that he was a pacifist initially, but then when he recognized that Hitler was pure evil, what he was doing to the Jews, he actually joined some people that tried to get rid of Hitler. Uh, he was arrested for that and uh, executed at age 39. Uh, his book, Cost of Discipleship, is a classic that'll wreck your world if you haven't read it yet. So one of the things Bonhoeffer did when he came back to his homeland is he started an underground seminary because he recognized the state church was bankrupt, had sold out to Hitler, and so he started an underground seminary where he took uh, young men into the home. He had a wealthy friend who had an estate, and they lived there. They did life together. In fact, that's one of his books, his life together, how they did that. Tragically, all those men were killed in the war. But the model of an underground seminary where people, because he was committed to Jesus and the Gospels and disciple-making as Jesus did it, and Jesus' Gospel, so that's what captured our imagination. And so uh, Bonhoeffer is the, the picture for us of taking people and soaking them in Christ so they can disciple others. Thanks so much for listening to the episode today, everybody. Next up, we've got more from Sandy Mason. He's talking to us about the Word, and he goes into the definitions of the gospel. And it's really interesting to hear everybody's kind of take on what the gospel means and how when we define that word um, incorrectly, or maybe we're just like showing half of what that word really means from what we gather from scripture, we set people up for failure. I think it's Bonhoeffer Project that always uses the phrase, what we win people with is also the thing that we win them to. So winning people with half the gospel creates half the disciple that we would get otherwise. So hit the subscribe button if you haven't already so that you know when I release the new episode, the part two of this. And uh, thanks so much for listening, y'all. Enjoy the rest of your day.